Well, we're pretty excited this morning. We're starting a new series called Red Letter Revival. Thank you, Yathari. That is brilliant. Red Letter Revival. Now, I don't know if you have one, but if you have, hands up if you have like an old school Bible, like a paper one. Like, and it's uh, like some of those old paper ones, they have all the words of Jesus that he said written in red. If you've got a red letter Bible, put your hand up because of the wave. You've got a red? Yeah, a whole bunch of us have. That's awesome. So for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, you probably, if you go into your Bible app, you can probably switch on. There'll be a little thing you can turn on that says, put the words of Jesus in red. So, um, but it, it's, a, it's a great thing to do because what happens is we, we read the Bible and, and we don't realize that in that actually are the words of God himself that he actually spoke and uttered with his mouth. And when we read those words that are in red, I don't know, I just get a sense that for me anyway, there's something very significant about those things, the very things that Jesus spoke in. Over these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those things that Jesus said, reviving those, looking them at again for our lives. And so we're going to start that today. And we're going to talk about what Jesus says must be first in our lives. Some of you will know the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes. I love Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, Calvin is this little kid. He's got a toy stuffed tiger who, of course, in his world is alive. And they have the most astonishing adventures and and conversations. And in one of these cartoons, uh, Calvin said this. He said, uh, hang on, sorry, whereabouts? I've lost it. I've lost it. It's gone. Here it is. He said, God put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. He says, Hobbes, right now I'm so far behind, I'm never going to (laughs) die. Now, I don't know about you, but I have weeks like that as well. When the amount of things that I have to do, it just seems ridiculous. And I bet we could all agree that if we stayed at work until we got everything on our to-do list done, like everything, all the big things, all the small things, and then maybe we just did enough so we're maybe a week ahead so we could take a little stress off our lives. If we did that, we would never go home. There is always more than we can do. There are always more books than we can read. There are always more movies than we can see. There are more dreams than we can fulfill. And in this life, one of the most important things we have to do is we have to decide what is first. You know, ever, ever, ever had a day when you just didn't get done if you're honest, the things you should have got done. You might have got a whole bunch of stuff done. You might have faithfully checked Facebook every 25 seconds. You might have, you might have cleared your emails multiple times. You might have done a whole bunch of things. But I don't know about you, but there are certainly days for me when I don't get done the most important things that I should get done. I don't get that particular job done that I've been putting off for ages and I don't want to do because it's going to be tricky. I maybe don't have that difficult conversation that I actually have to have at some point I don't get those things done that are highest on my priority list. And you've got to ask, what's the result of that procrastination? What's the result of living distracted and not putting first things first? For me, it's consistently regret, more stress, and more pain. And yet, how many of us do that? We don't put first things first. And this is what I love about the Word of God. God is just so, he's just so wise, he's so smart, and what he says is so helpful. And so we're going to look at something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Now Jesus is teaching, a bit of background, and he's addressing the kinds of things that actually cause stress in our lives. Uh, And and often very, very normal things. He's talking about uh, working and, and worrying about food and getting food on our table and clothes on our back that maybe for you 
that includes having enough, uh, a little bit of disposable income to buy some coffees, or, or maybe it's about having enough to make sure that the kids' lunchboxes are full, or, or how we're going to pay for Christmas dinner coming up in and, and just seven weeks. Sorry to frighten you all. And, um, and maybe it's about making sure we've got enough at home so that when people come around, we can show generous hospitality. And then there's clothing, making sure we've got the clothes that we need, making sure that our kids go off to school uh, with shoes on their feet, making sure we have those things, normal and natural things to worry about. And it's into this that Jesus speaks about priorities. Now, we've got to understand Jesus is not speaking negatively about those worries in life, not at all. But he does make a very clear statement about what should be first in our lives if we're going to have all those things that we need as well. Matthew 6.33 He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, you know, in the midst of all the things that we're worried about, all the stresses that we have in our life, actually... What is true is this, is that there are a couple of things that we must keep first. And if we do those things first, if we honor God first in these areas, then as our loving Heavenly Father, He will make sure that those other things are provided for us as well. There will be a flow, there'll be a favor, there'll be an ease in some of those other things. So what is Jesus saying that must be first? Note, He doesn't simply say, God must be first. It's a given. For every Jew who was listening to Jesus talk, they already knew that. And the first and second commandments of the Ten Commandments makes it absolutely crystal clear that there is one God and that the one God must be first. He can have nobody else alongside of him. He can have nobody else in his place. Commandments 1 and 2 paraphrased. And so he doesn't say that. He actually gets far more specific for us to tell us exactly what is it about this, this relationship with God that must be first. He says you must seek first two things, which are really one thing, but he delineates them. You've got to seek his kingdom, and I'm going to unpack that in just a moment. And he says you've got to to seek his righteousness in your life. And if you can do that and live like that, then all these things you're worried about, you don't have to worry about those things. All those things, God will make sure they come to you. So then, what have we got to do? What does it practically and actually look like for us to seek first his kingdom in our lives? And for us to seek first his righteousness in our lives. Let me give you a couple of things. The first one is this. Step one is this. You've got to make God your boss. Make God your boss. You know, when Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, he's talking about a king's dominion. Kingdom. King's dominion or a king's domain. A king's dominion. That is, the, that is the area of authority and provision and protection that a king exerts because of who he is over the subjects that are under him. In that sphere, the king is responsible. In that sphere, the king looks after, provides for, puts the structures and systems in place. That's what the king's job is. And Jesus is saying, you need to live so that the king's dominion, that is your life. You are under the king's dominion. You're under God's provision, God's protection, God's authority. That is the sphere that you operate in. Now, this is hugely important because this is a game changer if we get it. 
I was talking just very recently, week before last, uh, with a couple in this church here today. Um, and they run a restaurant, a fabulous restaurant. I don't want to embarrass them, so I'm not going to say what it is, but I really should be plugging it because it really is outstanding. Um, but I was chatting with, with this gentleman, and he was telling me a little bit of their story. See, when they started the restaurant, right from the start, things went pretty well. In fact, things went so well as they began to put God in first place in their restaurant that they decided, man, we should, we should sell this. Like, this is going so well. We could really get a great return on this. You see, when they first started the business together, they decided God was going to be the boss of their business. And then they got involved and they did that as best they knew how. And then when they decided to sell it, the weirdest thing happened. They couldn't sell it. Nobody would buy it. They were driving along one day in the car, he says, and it suddenly came to him. And he said out loud, I know why we can't sell this business. It's because it's not our business to sell. This is God's business. And we need to ask him about what we're doing. Well, when they did that, they felt God was telling them to keep the business. And over the years that have followed, as they've drilled in in a whole different way to work out what does it mean for God to be the, the CEO of this restaurant, it's affected the way they serve their customers. It's, it's changed the way they deal with their staff. It's changed their big picture goals and what they're trying to achieve. Today, their business is not only still unbelievably profitable, but it's a place where staff are cared for, where staff are mentored and trained and treated as family. It is an amazing place. That's what happens when you put God first. When Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, then the beautiful thing is, is that then your challenges and problems become his responsibility to provide solutions for. Now, I know we're all A-type kind of people and we all want to do well and make things happen under our own steam, but you know what the reality is this, is that there are times in your business, there are times in your job, in your store, in your family, and whatever you're engaged in, when you know what's going on, I tell you, it's completely out of your control. There are things that you're going to come across that actually are determined far more by, by the market or by a chance meeting with somebody or by something that happened. A supplier goes through a certain thing. And, and there are so many key moments in business that actually have got nothing to do with your skill and ability. And for us to understand that if we make God our CEO, God our boss, God the one who rules these things, if we can seek first his dominion in our lives, we enter into a place when we access all the resources of heaven, not just the resources of our head. You want to seek first the kingdom, make God your boss. The, step, the second step is this. If you want to seek God's righteousness, here's what it means. You need to make God's love for others your standard. You need to make God's love for others your standard. Righteousness can be defined simply as being the state of being right with God and right with people simultaneously. That is righteousness at the end of it all. To be righteous is to be completely right with God and completely right with people around you. So let me ask the question, are you right with God? Like, are you, are you, are you really right with God? Is there a transparency between you and God? Are you close is there a sense of closeness in your friendship with God? Is there anything unresolved or unspoken between you and God? I was chatting to a guy not in this church that I'm mentoring uh, just recently, and I said to him, how are you, you and God? This is his reply. He said, we're civil. I said, it's like, no, 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 that's, that's what happens when you have a, how you deal with a divorced spouse. Like, we're civil, maybe. That's not how you describe a relationship with you and God. But that was how he said it. 
How are you and God this morning? Are you civil? Or is there a closeness and a transparency of your relationship with him that really is a deep friendship? When you know him as your dad or you know him as your closest friend. That's one part of it. The other part of it is this. How are you with others? Are you right with every person that you are aware of in your world? How about between you and your dearly beloved? How about you and your boss? How about you and your mother-in-law? How about you and your enemies? Because the Bible says we should strive to live at peace with all people as much as it is up to us. See, to be righteous, to seek his righteousness is is to no longer have our standard because our standard is too low. We need to have his standard for how we love and treat others. When God is the boss, his standard in relationships becomes our standard. And that means we must be intentional and committed to do whatever it takes to be right with God and to be right with others. You see, God's righteousness is an astonishing thing. God's righteousness forgives. It doesn't hold grudges. You're holding any grudges this morning. God's grace chases after people. It seeks after people. It initiates. It doesn't hold out and wait and stonewall and punish. Let me ask you this morning. Are you stonewalling anybody at the moment? Are you punishing anybody at the moment? God's righteousness doesn't let the day end on angry disputes. It humbles itself to make things right. Are you still angry at anybody today? God's righteousness gives to those who asks, blesses even your enemies. It does not hold back any good thing from anybody if it is within its power to give it. Are you holding back from anybody at the moment? And lastly, God's righteousness devises ways to reconcile with people. Anything that is not right, it will try and find a way to reconcile. It is that important. Seek first, Jesus says. I know you've got challenges in your life. I know you've got pressures in your job. I know that the budget's pretty tight this weekend because the washing machine broke down and you had to get yourself a new one and now you're in a tough place. But if you will seek first, his kingdom, and his righteousness, then God has a way of providing all those other things for you as well. Make God your boss. Make God's love for others your standard, and all these things will be given to you as well. I've got this friend of mine, and we catch up regularly, and to be honest, he's a little bit of a pain. Uh, And he's a bit of a pain because he's always checking that he hasn't offended me in some way, shape, or form. I mean, we're we're friends, we chat about stuff, we laugh, we mock each other occasionally, uh, as guys do, we get on well. But if ever there's a moment where he thinks maybe I took something the wrong way, he'll be on the phone within five minutes, just go, hey Mike, are we good? Is everything good? Like I just, I thought, I said that thing, I I wasn't sure how you took it, are are we cool, are we good? I'm like, yeah bro, you're serious, stop it, stop it, go away, we're good, we're good. But it's that important to him. And I love that about him. So how do we do this then? What, what are some of the things we can do to make God our boss and our practically and to make his love for others our standard of righteousness? Now, now before I give you this, I have to tell you about one thing that will always trip us up. You see, the devil has one 
particularly powerful tool that appears so normal, so much a part of life, yet it is so powerful that, in my experience, it keeps many people out of the blessing that God promises. What is it? This is all the devil has to do. He gets us to serve two bosses instead of one. How does he do this? He gets us to try and serve God, our provider, and then simultaneously gets us to serve money as our provider. And the end result is that we end up serving neither properly. It's so subtle that Jesus made a point of warning us about it before he talked of first things. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it's in your notes. No one, he says, no one, no one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is fascinating to me. This has always intrigued me. God says that when you love God and hate money, or when you hate God and love money, get this, usually it's because you're trying to serve both. We sometimes read this wrong and think that we should love God and hate money. That's the point. No, that's desperately not the point. He is saying if you love one and hate the other, you're actually out of whack. That's not how God designed us to work in this realm between both God and the financial realities of life on the planet. See, if you're someone who's really not interested in money at all, in fact, you despise it, you want nothing to do with money, perhaps even you're willfully financially ignorant, you may well be someone who inadvertently is trying to serve both God and money. You love God, but the reality of your life is you are controlled by finances. It's your finances that are making the decision on what you do, where you go, how much you can spend, and how you do things. God doesn't get looking at you. Love God, but you've become financially ignorant, and you've despised money, and you've got yourself into a place where God does not want you to be. You love God, but you're convinced that money is one of the roots of all kind of evil, and so you want nothing to do with it. Yet simultaneously, you experience its rule in your life. The other situation is maybe you're a Christian, you work hard, maybe make some good money, maybe you're, you're successful. But quietly, if you're honest, you're a little cynical about God. You don't really trust God. You're not really sure if God is reliable, maybe even a little criti critical of the church. You too very probably are someone inadvertently trying to serve both God and money. You love God, but if you're honest, you see that all your needs are met financially. Through the strength of your own ability, your own position, your own skills. And you're probably concerned that God might want to deal with that by taking your money away. And that's something you're not willing to face. Finance is making the rules, but you're caught between that and a genuine love for God in your heart, even though you're not sure how to work it out. You see, when you are trying to serve two masters, you are seeking to have two things first. And there are few things harder than trying to serve two masters. So let me ask you this morning, if we're really honest, are you trying to serve two masters? If you find that you love one of those two things, but if you're honest, you tend to pull away from the other one, beware. Because this positions you for dysfunction in one or other of these areas of your life. If you love money and pull away from God, you're in a dangerous place. 
You not only risk losing God's blessing on your finances, but also your salvation as well. If you love God, but you pull away from money, you will be a poor steward of the financial opportunities God blesses you with. And despite God's blessing, you will squander the opportunities he brings your way. Put God first. Make God your master and then make money your servant. God never says we should hate money. Make money your servant. Put it to work. Make it work for you, not against you. And you will find peace and provision in your life. So then, as we come, towards, come to a bit of a close, and we'll get this team up in just a moment, how do we do that? How do we, how do we make God boss in our lives? How do we deal with having two masters? How do we do these things? Number one, the first way to do it is to honor God with the first part of your income. You see, we all already honor things with our income. Who do you pay taxes to? We pay taxes to the governing authority in our life. We pay taxes to the protection and the authority of the government. Tax is demanded, but God doesn't demand a tithe. Tithe is offered. Tax is about duty. Tithe is about honor. And this is so interesting because some of us, we honor the God of recreation with our tithe, or we honor the God of entertainment with our tithe, or we we honor the God of appearances with our tithe instead of the God who loved you, created you, and has a future for you. And I want to bring just a gentle challenge this morning. Do the maths. If you're here today and and you're one of the many people who who maybe don't give a percentage of your income to God, no judgment at all. We're all on our own journey. But why don't you add up how much you spend uh, on a given month on clothes or on hair or makeup or in the gym? How much do you spend on whatever hobby or entertainment is your thing? Take a look at what percentage you give away to honor things other than God in your life. It might just shock you. What do you regularly give your money to? Because what you regularly give your money to is what you prioritize. How are you putting God first? 1 Corinthians 16, do what I told the Galatian churches do, Paul says to the church. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, or in other words, a percentage of what you earn, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Paul says, we should do this first. Don't do this at the end of the week. See if you've got anything left. Do this at the start of your week. Right from the earliest days of the nation of Israel, God said, don't honor me last, you honor me first. Because your priority demonstrates your love. You know, and and Liz and I, in our first year of marriage, we determined when we got married, we were going to have a great marriage. So we decided in our first year of marriage, we were going to do a marriage course. And uh, so we, we signed up for this marriage course. It wasn't in our church. It was in another church. Why was that? Because we didn't want anyone to know in our first year of marriage we were doing a marriage course because that sounded like it was tragic. And it sounded like we weren't doing very well. So we went to this other church. We didn't tell anyone about it. We were a little bit embarrassed. So every Tuesday night, we drive to the other side of the city, go to this marriage course, do it, drive home, don't tell anyone. But it was fantastic. But we were at a, at a stage in our life. Liz was working. I was studying. We were really struggling with our giving. Really, it was a, just a tough season taking what we had and, and honoring God with it. And, um, and we just come through a bit of a challenging season with our finances again. And we really feel God speaking to us about that. And so we decided we we're going to take a, a, chunk, a small chunk out of our grocery budget, our mega grocery budget. I mean, you know, we were, we were renting a house. We we're trying to save for a deposit. We were living on mince and pasta, I tell you. 
and, and, but we took a little bit of our grocery budget and decided to give it away. So we did that that week, and, and honestly, the cupboards were pretty underwhelming. But we decided we were going to trust God with this. So then we went off to our course. This particular night, it was so vivid in our memory, we arrived late. We were the last ones of the course to arrive, went up in the back door of these people's house, uh, went in, did the course, we got out of there early, we were the first ones to leave, and as we were leaving, we tripped over this big box on the back step. Wasn't there when we arrived, it had written on the top, for Mike and Liz. Nobody that we knew, knew we were there apart from the group, and we arrived after everyone had arrived and left, before anyone had left. We have no idea where it came from. But when we opened up that box, it was a gigantic box full of fresh fruit and vegetables, easily enough for two weeks. And I remember in that darkened porch looking at each other, and we just knew that we knew that God was affirming our decision to honor him first. And he was fulfilling his promise to provide for us. It was amazing. God is boss, not money. How do we know? We give him the first part of our income. The second thing we practice we need to do if we're going to uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness is we need to give God the first part of our day. See, what you give your time to, you honor. You don't have to give all your hours. God doesn't want you to give all your hours, but he does want you to give the first part of your hours as with your finances. Make it a priority to schedule some time in the first part of your day for the things that God has asked you to do. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Talking about Jesus, it says very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You know what, if Jesus can take the first part of his day and he only had three years to get everything done that he needed to get done, then I'm telling you, I don't care what your excuse is, I don't care what your time pressure is, you and I can take some time at the beginning of every day to put God first as well. And it's intriguing in this passage of scripture because it does not tell us how much time Jesus spent. He could have spent 10 minutes. He could have spent an hour. We don't know. Why not? Because that's not the point. It doesn't matter how much you give. It's the fact that you give it first. And then the third thing that we can do to honor God is we give him the first part of our week. Luke 4.16, on the Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom. Acts 20 verse 7, on the first day of the week, we, the the early church came together to break bread. You see, the Jews worshipped on the last day of the week. But by the time of the early church, they decided they were going to worship on the first day of the week. It was a priority to give God the first part of what they were doing. And for us, our week starts on a Sunday. My week starts on a Sunday. Sunday is also, for many of us, a day off. We begin the day we begin our week by taking a day for rest, to come to church to honor him, to praise him, to thank him. We work from rest rather than work to rest, as Dr. Adam Dodge shared just a few weeks ago. Getting to church, worshiping him, seeking him, learning, it's all about putting him first. Now, look, there's no question that I know sometimes things come up. You can't make it on a Sunday. The cat dies. You've got to visit an auntie. There's no question that things come up. As Jesus said, God created Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. But some people say, you know, it's no big deal if we, if we take a Sunday off. They say we can talk to God just as well at the beach, at the batch, in the boat, or on a bike. You like all those bees? As long as you're doing something that starts with B. But, but people say, look, I, I can worship God just as easily in those places as I can at church. You know what? There is no question 
that you can do it just as well, but there is a question around, do you do it as well? And I know that I don't. And so I make the first part of my week a priority to come and demonstrate that God is my boss, that I seek first his kingdom, that his standards are my standards. As we conclude this morning, don't let procrastination sideline you. Live your priorities. Put first things first. Make God your boss, the boss of your business, the boss of your home, the boss of your career, the boss of your marriage, and then make God's love for others your standard, your MO, the way you roll. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you as well. So I'd like us just, even just where we're sitting, I'd like us just to close our eyes, maybe bow our heads this morning, because I want to just bring a general challenge to us as we conclude this morning's service. Let me ask you, just as you're sitting there with your eyes closed, is God your boss? He created this place and everything in it. He is the founding pastor, the first partner, the managing director. He is the owner and the primary shareholder. Why don't you put him in first place today? If you'd like to do that, I just invite you to pray this prayer along with me in your heart to the Lord. God, today I want to make you boss in my life. My career, God, I look to you to lead me. God, in my marriage, you're the one I will obey. God, in my, in my shop, in my store, in my school, or wherever it is I am, I would like to invite you, God, to take the top chair now. God, I pray that you will teach me and lead me how you would have me lead this area of my life. Be the boss in my life, God, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Still with our eyes closed, is God's love for others your standard? If it's not, I'm telling you, you will live with a measure of heartbreak and dysfunction as a result. Why don't we all make a pledge this morning to make God's standard for relationships our standard? Feel free to pray with me this morning. Mighty God, God, this morning we want to raise our standard. Jesus, we want your standard for loving others to be our standard. And so here and now, Lord, we will ask the question, what would Jesus do if he was in my shoes? God, what would you have me do with this person, with that situation? God, we lift our standards this morning and we say your standard will be our standard.